Hello, and welcome to Rescuing Churches with Stan and Josh Gibbons. This is the official podcast of 614 Ministries, where we exist to renew vision and restore hope at struggling churches across the country. With over 80% of churches in decline and 1,500 pastors a month battling depression, we strive to equip members and encourage ministers to pursue new directions of stability and growth. Rescuing Churches, the official podcast of 614 Ministries. I am your host, Josh Givens, and as always, I'm joined by 614 Ministries founder and executive director, my father, Stan Givens. All right, it's great to be here, and we thank all of you for listening to these episodes so far. We hope that the topics, the dialogue have been encouraging and insightful and impactful thus far. And if you've stuck it out with us up to this point, then you've apparently decided that you're completely okay with the overwhelming professionalism of a pastor being interviewed by his own son. (laughs) That's right. You know, we could have had our pick of any big names for panel discussions. I mean, we could have had Louis Giglio lined up for this, uh, Stephen Furtick, Francis Chan, Andy Stanley, but we know how much all of you are enjoying this father-son back and forth. So we turned all of those guys down flat and said, hey, Josh has a journalism degree, Stan has a pastoral theology degree, and 40 years of pastoral ministry experience. What more do we really need? Let's just start start a podcast. (laughs) I'm sure we'll all be winning awards in no time. Send your emails to 614rebuild at gmail.com. All right, this topic that we're going to cover today is a little interesting. Just to kick things off, it's a little weird in some ways because as your son, I don't really ever think of you, and I mean, I, this is just not not even just now at 30, almost 34 years old, but even just my whole life growing up, I never really think of you as being scared or terrified of anything. Mm-hmm. That's just not something you, I, I think that's true of most sons with their father with their father figures they don't ever really think of their dads as being afraid of anything dad's just this invincible guy who can take on the world but in regards to this passage from malachi that you discuss in one of your blogs you've made it abundantly clear in not only here but in other areas of your some of your sermons and things and some of our other discussions that there really is this fear, this spiritual fear of this kind of thing happening in your own ministry and at your own church, at other churches across the country, and really in our church culture as a whole. So tell our listeners briefly about this passage when God says to Israel that he would rather Israel just shut the doors to the temple um, rather than come in and offer sacrifices to him and, and, you know, rather than worship him. Why did, why did that happen? Well, he's speaking through the prophet Malachi and it's a terrifying place for Israel because God's just done uh, with them and he's been done with them before. But when he actually said the, the, the temple in the old Testament is where you come to meet with God, to worship him, to adore him, to honor him. And in those days, you brought sacrifice to do that. 
and it brought honor to God and glory to God. And God actually says in this passage through through the Spirit Malachi, He does it in a questioning way. God loves to speak to us in questions. Um, he had the very first uh, comment we have from God uh, after Adam and Eve sinned is, "Where are you?" He's asking him a question. It's not that God didn't know exactly where Adam and Eve right, were, right? Dressed in original mossy oak, hiding in a hiding in a bush. <laughs> he realizes he realizes that. They need to know they're not where they belong. Right. And so he asked questions. And Jesus asked questions. Uh, Jesus, as God in the New Testament, asked questions a lot of times. He asked a lame man, do you want to be made well? Um, and so um, I, I've experienced in my own personal walk, God asked me questions a lot of times to make me think. Um, in this text, he's saying, if if I'm the master, where's my respect? Um, and he actually asked him, would you treat the governor with these kind of sacrifices? Because they were bringing lame lambs, blind lambs, diseased lambs. Uh, they were bringing molded grains and fruits to the temple to worship. And it was literally um, shameful to God. And so he actually says, I would rather you, I'm not pleased. and I'd rather you shut the doors today. I just picture God in my head saying, "Can we just can we just shut the doors today and nobody come in?" Yeah, I would rather bother. you not be here don't than behave as you're continuing to behave. Mm. Um, and since the, I know the church and the temple are two different things, but it is a representation of the opportunity to come and fellowship as a group with God right. and have God's attention uh, directly to us. And when we gather as the body of Christ, we inhabit some of that ourselves. Mm. And I. I just can't imagine God saying, you know, Pastor Stan, I'd love for you not to open up today. That's a terrifying thought that we would get to the place where our our love for him, our sacrifice for him throughout the week as members of the body of Christ um, is so poor. Mm. Um, we're so uninvolved in the kingdom of God's stuff. We're so involved in our own stuff that God would say, I don't really want you here today. Could y'all just stay? Could, how about? How about Northside? Just stay home today. Mm. You know, that, that's terrifying to me. Very terrifying. How do you feel like this passage applies to some churches in our culture today? Um, kind of kind of overall in a broad sense. Well, we, we had the podcast uh, earlier about uh, immature Christians, baby Christians. Right. They really aren't baby Christians. A baby, a technical baby Christian is somebody that's just brand new, right. saved. Just been saved. But a person that's been saved a long time and still hasn't grown up mm. is is immature. Right. And maybe right. that's the best word we're going to put on that. Um, <laughs> right. Deformed was what I was thinking, but it's probably right. more just immature. Um, and definitely not, not growing at the right rate. So... Um, but I, I think a lot of our churches are full of people that are consumed with worldliness, um, with cultural uh, consumerism in our culture, um, with the, the things that literally keep us from having pure sacrifice to God, having having a pure heart throughout the week, a pure motive in uh, helping others and those kind of things. And I think that hurts our testimony, um, but it also... Um, models possibly a little bit of what was discouraging to God about the way the Old Testament saints were bringing in these half-hearted. It was literally, it was literally. I'm going to give you the, the leftovers of my flock. I'm not giving you the best lamb. Mm. I'm going to give you the leftovers. And so I think a lot of us as Christians give God leftover tithe, leftover time, 
you know, we didn't have quite enough time this week to come to church all four meetings or all three meetings or even two meetings this week. So we're just going to squeeze that in because we have a, we need to go watch this game or we need to go to this event or we're going to do this with this other group and we're not going to focus ourselves around the calling of God in our life. So I think it's very similar in some ways. It's, it's half-heartedness. Yeah, that's very true. And why do you think that so many churches, both big and small, um, kind of spend, you know, as I was reading through your blog, this this kind of came to into my mind. They kind of spend an overwhelming amount of time and expense focusing on the show aspect, um, the lights, the sound, the fancy media and the music over the substance. Why do you think that that happens so much? Why have so many churches kind of fallen in that mindset? Is it is it a keeping up with the Joneses thing, feeling like they have to compete with other churches to knock it out of the park or I think it, I think it's an easy way to fill a sanctuary right and I, I don't say that lightheartedly because I've attended some mega churches that I think are doing it well right and they can have the giant light shows mm-hmm. and you know giant screens and you know their media room looks like something off you know Starship Enterprise kind of deal right right you're very impressed with all that um, and and yet their ministry at the core level, their small group ministry, their their community outreach, and all that's fine. Mm-hmm. I've been to a few like that. I do know there's a number out there, um, probably in between all that, full size giant churches, mega churches, which is a very small amount of churches in America. And then there's the mid sized churches and even the smaller ones that they've perhaps gotten caught up with. Here's how we're going to get people into our church, and it's mm-hmm. going to be because we entertain well, right? That's terrifyingly unhealthy. Mm. Um, it's not anywhere modeled in the New Testament that we entertain people to get them to come to church. Um, it's in, it's we're supposed to go tell them about the gospel and invite them to come hear more about it and grow. And I think part of even even Jesus in Jesus' day, um, the religious leaders dressed in a certain way that drew attention to themselves when they walked through the city. It, I, I imagine little parents of, of Jewish parents would grab their children and point to a, a priest or um, one of the Pharisees that's walking through town and he would point to him and say, tell the child, hey, there goes one of the Pharisees. They're very religious. They're very right with God. That man is is what God wants us all to be because he had the the box on his forehead oh, or on, yeah. on his mm-hmm. on his uh, hat or whatever that had the scriptures and he had all these bells around his thing yep. and he had all this yep. stuff that that marked him out as a religious man and he walked with an air about that but when you read the new testament the people that disappointed Jesus the most frustrated him the most and the people that he literally name called the most yep. was the religious leaders yep. you know it wasn't the tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes no 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 yeah you know, he's here to rescue them, but the religious leaders, man, he zeroes them mm. um, because they are not healthy. It's not healthy to be all about your look and not have any real substance. He actually tells them, you know, you're like whited sepulchers. You're like a gravestone that's been painted really pretty, but on the inside, it's still a grave. There's death There's inside death of your heart, mm. even though you look good on the outside. It's all empty. Yeah. yeah. How does that wind up affecting a church in the long run? Like when you when you have a church that really uh, exhausts itself trying to be more flashy and entertainment oriented in order to appeal to the culture rather than be substance oriented and make sure that it's, you know, you know, theologically sound and that it's 
having great small groups and reaching people and, you know, reaching out Caring to the for widows and orphans. Yeah. And, yeah. All, all that stuff and being mission minded and everything. How does that end up affecting the, since our ministry does so much and, and speaks to churches, how does that actually affect a church itself in the long run? You're saying when a church is it, it's, is it's, entertainment focused, yeah, over substance, yeah. Uh, first of all, I think it exhausts your your team, and you're mm-hmm. probably going to have a bunch of rollover. Oh yeah, uh, on your your stage team and your lighting team and mm-hmm. all the crews that run all that. It's got to be exhausting to try to keep up with that. Sure, I mean it just sure. has to be. Um, we're a little church and we have a little bit of lights and, you know, little, right. little, little lights on the back of our stage that are change colors. And it's exhausting for us just to change sure. those out every week, so <laughs> make them a different color. Um, so, so, but I would think, and it may be fun for some of the guys. They may be having a great time at it. That, that may be their calling, mm-hmm. uh, their technical calling, uh, into the church to help all that. So that may work out fine for some, but I think for a lot of churches, it, it exhausts the team. And then ultimately, I think it it takes the focus away from the real issue, mm-hmm. which is: Are we preaching and teaching the substance of the gospel? Are we using the Word of God to change lives? The Word of God is quick and powerful, and it can change a man's heart. Um, but it has to be it has to be sown into their heart. And there's the the argument for a lot of people is: Well, if we don't get them here through the entertainment, we can't get the word into them. I believe the Bible says God draws men into church. Um, with or without entertainment. I've seen people come to our church for years. We definitely don't have an entertainment right. going anywhere. There's very little right. entertainment happening here. Um, but I've seen God draw people into our church before. Um, and I've seen that in a lot of churches. Um, there are a lot of churches that, that are just preaching and teaching the word of God. They're, they're compassionate churches. They have a, a, they're very friendly. You know, I think the issue becomes, when a person comes to church, is he here because he's going to get entertained and get really high-end coffee, you know, and see Mr. Skinny Jeans and a whole bunch of really good-looking singers up there? Or is he going to come to a place that's more real? Like, right. this is how the real world looks. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a band of people that kind of do all that. But, yeah. but the real world, Mobile, Alabama, where mm-hmm. we are, the real world doesn't look like that. And, and hopefully a place where they can engage and build relationships. Yeah. And, and we might just have a good cup of Folgers waiting on us. <laughs> right, right. You know, we actually just put a coffee station <laughs> in the back of our sanctuary. Yeah, we know, upgraded. Thank, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, um, if you're coming to here for the coffee, you picked a really bad, you made a bad yeah, choice. you made a bad choice. <laughs> you made a bad choice because Starbucks is going to be way better for you. But the Word of God is going to be preached here. Right. And, and the people in this building are going to love you like a brother in Christ. Even if you're not in Christ yet, they're going to love you that way till you get there. Mm. And you're going to find at this church there are people that care. And, and the substance of what the Scriptures is all about, which is loving one another well, loving one another like Christ loves us, can happen in, a, in any setting with or without entertainment. You don't need entertainment for that to happen. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what draws people and helps people. And I think churches get off track because you start that keep up, you said it yourself, the keep up with the Joneses. Yep. You know, well, next week, our next Christmas, our light show's got to be four times what it was last year, you know, and then we watched, you know, some big fancy church online. Oh my gosh, here's what they did. We got to try to do that next year. And then we got to do this. And you're just trying to keep up. Mm-hmm. When in reality, you probably ought to scale back to let's take all this energy and focus it on how can we get the gospel to more people right underneath our steeple in the neighborhoods around us? How can we get more people interested in the reality of the kingdom of God? How can I help more people in my church love their personal neighbors, their next door neighbor better? 
Right. How can I do that? Which is a big part of our vision, actually, for 2020 here at the church. Yes. Um, and when I was reading through a lot of this, too, it, one thing that came to to my mind, just thinking back through um, something that I actually uh, wrote in a blog myself like a year or two ago, um, it's interesting. This whole thing kind of applies to pastors as well in our current culture, not just churches, because we're living in a culture where there's an Instagram account dedicated to the types of expensive sneakers that mm. trendy and hip pastors today are wearing. And I remember one of those prominent pastors being called out by the account for wearing a pair of, and I had never heard of these until I came across the article, a pair of Air Yeezy Red Octobers, which ring in at between fifty six hundred and six thousand dollars. Yeah, Hunt for Red October was a good movie. Right. <laughs> I don't know what a, what an Air Red October. An Air the Yeezy October Red October. Yeah, has nothing to do with the movie, movie. The Hunt for yeah. Red October. These these shoes can go anywhere on bid for between five and six grand. Why do you think grand? That, grand. Yeah. Why do you think that so many so called pastors? And our culture as a whole, the millennials and the Gen Z crowd in particular, because they're all caught up in this kind of thing. And, and they're the ones that are going to see this all over social media. Um, they, Why do you think it is that they want to see this sort of thing? You know, you mentioned in your blog piece and you mentioned it just a second ago, the coffee stations and the lobbies and the fashionable pastors, you know, the the, the worship bands that can just bring the house down. What is it about the younger generation, especially, where you feel like, uh, you know, a lot of them just kind of feel the need for that? Well, I think there's a belonging. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I think there is a longing to be part of something bigger. I know just in my reading, the the next generation coming up that are in their 20s now, they want things with purpose and value. Mm -hmm. They're having what a lot of people are writing now call a meaning crisis. What right. does my life mean? And I think the church answers all those questions magnificently. Right. You, your meaning is to glorify God. And when you get into that, you are incredibly satisfied when you get into that. You can, you can have the greatest sense of joy, hope and peace in your life once you get into that part of your existence and fall in love with Christ and put him in the center of your life. So I think the church meets a lot of those needs, but I do think the, the modern culture continually pulls us away from that. We preached on it this morning on worldliness. Right. Worldliness is is rebellion towards God, um, and it's all things that rebel towards God, but it pulls us away from godliness. And, you know, John tells it, First John tells us, um, John tells us in First John to, you know, stop um, living towards the world. Stop pursuing the things of the world. I sent this, I sent a proverb out to a good friend of mine uh, in a text last night. It said, we were talking about poverty and riches and how much riches is rich, right, the right amount of riches. It says, Proverbs 30 says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. And the writer of Proverbs very wisely is saying, Lord, keep me right on that middle ground. Give me enough that I don't feel like the, the urge to steal, right. the, the temptation to steal, and not so much that I forget you. And right. I see that in a lot of the hunger that a lot of our culture has to be in the late, have the latest shoes, shoes, <laughs> good Lord, iPhone, 
uh, all of that. Um, the, the hunger to live, to keep up with the Joneses, to live at that higher level, to try to, you're, you're trying to find your identity in all the wrong stuff now. And mm-hmm. that's, that's worldliness. And the Bible says the world's passing away. It's yeah, fleeting. It's, it, it will never satisfy. And it's sad that it's crept into our churches, I think, and mm-hmm. some, some of our churches at that, that level. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it is kind of terrifying. You, you have a really good quote from, um, Tozer, from A.W. Tozer here that, where he, um, he says, it is scarcely possible in most places to get anyone to attend a meeting where the only attraction was God. And he wrote that in 1962. Yes. So do you feel that this is even more true now? How, and and, yes. and if, you, if you do, how so? Off the charts. And I, I do think uh, we feel like we have to have some sort of the old school term when I was in early uh, ministry life was, you know, we have to have a dog and pony show right. to get people to come out. We have to have a special speaker, a special singer, a special whatever to get people to join our church or mm-hmm. attend our church so we can get them to join. And we've kind of ramped that up now. Um, kind of the new genre is to grow a church by being very contemporary in its look and style and culturally look. And I, I don't mind some of that. We, we've made some changes here that are trying to keep up with that. And we don't look like we're from the 70s, which we struggled with for a long time. Right. Um, but at the same time, we cannot be trying to entertain people. And, and the, the changes we make cannot be... Um, because we think we're attracting them to those changes. We're just wanting to be comfortable when they do come here. The Bible says God adds to the number of a church. It says, unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. And so we're letting him build the house. We're just trying to prepare it as best we know how and make it as comfortable as we can for them without compromising any values of Scripture. Right. That's good. That makes sense. And speaking of our church, you're you're challenging your own church right now, um, kind of entering into the new year to return to their first love, which, um, you know, a phrase that comes out of Revelation too. You talk a lot about the motives that people have for coming to church. And some people only go to church these days because, especially in the South, it's just, you know, the natural thing to do. Other people are doing it for show. How can churches return to their first love when they've drifted away? What are some practical real life steps that they can take and and things that they can they can do. Well, the text in Revelation that we've kind of wrapped our head around since December here is that you need to remember your past. You need to remember how you got saved and what you got saved from. You need to tra- look at the trajectory your life would be on if you never found Christ. And when that when you see the the middle to end of that trajectory and how desperately bad that could be, it helps you love your calling into the kingdom of God, into the body of Christ way higher. And so it is a, it is a high responsibility for us, first of all, to, to remember our first love, remember our day of salvation, remember the, the journey that God's had us on and he is authoring and finishing our faith. But I also think, um, you know, the, the other thing we can do is spend time with new believers and help people become new believers. Absolutely. When we tell the gospel more, the gospel is for every day of a Christian's life. I don't think the gospel is your is your past. Right. It's not the one-time thing you did when you got saved. The gospel is every day. Hmm. Every day we should look at the gospel again and say, man, Jesus saved me from my sins. I was a desperate, bad sinner uh, bent on running away from God. He reached into my life and rescued me from my sin, and I owe him everything. And I think that's an everyday 
uh, responsibility of a Christian. So that'll help me not get lost in the culture today. I don't care what the culture is doing. I care what God's interested in. I want to honor him. I want to give him my life and focus on him. Um, and, and God literally prefers us to have a deeper life experience with him, to, to learn to love people over stuff. You know, I've, I'm, I've watched people sacrifice their, take, take their retirement. I think a Truett Dodd will finish with Truett Dodd because we're, our podcast times clock's running hard here. Um, Truett Dodd was a, a good friend of mine. He's with the Lord now, uh, minister here in Mobile, Alabama. He was a music director at a church, uh, here in town and he literally got saved at a revival at 48 years old. He was already the music director at a Baptist church. Um, and the revival that weekend saved him as well. Um, so he had never really surrendered his life. But his plans when he retired were, were to live at the beach. We were an hour from the beach and watch the sunrise and set at the beach and see um, the beauty of the ocean every night. Um, enjoy the warm sun of Gulf Shores, Alabama. Um, maybe get a nice boat, run up down the coast, you know, a little bit here and there and have just a nice little home there on the beach. And at 68 years old, coming back from a short-term mission trip to Mexico, God told him, spend the rest of your life in Siberia, Russia, not Gulf Shores. And I'd just like to point out there's a huge difference between oh, yeah. <laughs> Gulf Shores, Alabama, you know, the coldest day it's ever going to be there is 30. Right. Um, and... Siberia, which he would call me from Siberia at times, and it's 60 below. And he'd say, mm. they shut everything down. We can't even get out and get food today. It's 60 below. Wow. And you're like, but tomorrow it's going to be great. It's going to warm up to 30 below. And then what? we can go to the store. I'm like, really? <laughs> 30 below. <laughs> he spent his his all of his senior years and all of his retirement wealth, all of it, building five churches in remote villages in Siberia, and helping a bunch of people in colleges and nursing homes and uh, different venues, going to the mall and witnessing with tracks. He didn't even speak the language. He just knew his life was meant to be lived for God, not for himself. Mm. And he flipped that all around at the end of his life, even though he planned all his life to retire. Right. He flipped it around when his calling got clear, and he said, I'm giving it all to the Lord. And when he passed away, his sole possession was a really old uh, mobile oh, yeah. home. I remember. <laughs> really old mobile home that he and I, uh, I would visit with him here in town. Um, but he, he owned a little mobile home that he'd drive around and park in different mobile home parks and stay for a few months. Um, that's all he had. But his eternal rewards were off the charts. Oh, yeah. And so I, sure. I'm, I'm saying we've got to get away from um, culturally – uh, trying to trying to keep up with all that, yeah. trying to worry about our retirements and our income. It's all good to have good financial planning and all that. But at the end of the day, when we give our lives to God, we ask God what to do with our retirement. We ask God what to do with our incomes. We ask God how we're supposed to spend this capital that we have. And if there's extra capital, it's his, not yours. That's definitely I believe true. That. Definitely true for us, for individuals and for churches and pastors and all of that. All right. Well, that's great. And I appreciate your time as always and we hope that you've all enjoyed listening to this episode of rescuing churches and you can learn more about us at 614 ministries.org and you can also follow us on social media facebook and twitter at 614 rebuild